0: Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus from the streets, Jesus over all of the darkness. Shout Jesus over our families. Man, it's been a great morning already. We've been led by the generations. Can we thank them again for the way that they have led us? Woo! And man, All of the baptisms. And guess what? We've got that many and more in the next service. Hallelujah. Thank God for what he is doing in our midst. Rob Eagle just uh, shot me a text there as, as we were going through the baptism. He says, brother, you need to cut some of those points out of your sermon. Man, I'll take this any day. I can always shorten. But I have a lot to say, so we're going to jump right in. Matt said earlier, we're starting a brand new series today called Family matters. Now, depending on how I say that, it kind of takes on a different meaning. If I say family matters, most of you in the room would say, absolutely, Pastor Scott, family matters. You may even be thinking of moments or seasons in your life where having your family near really meant a lot. It could be anything from celebrating holidays or birthdays or anniversaries together to even some of those times in our life, maybe when disaster strikes, when when sadness comes. Uh, Most of you in the room, if you're like me, 9-11 came and we saw the horrific news. What did we want to do? We wanted to gather our family together, and I wanted just to hug my kids, right, and my wife. Why? Because family matters. But then if I say, family matters, (laughs) That can take on a different meaning, right? You're thinking of Cousin Eddie and uh, all of perhaps the dysfunctions or the challenges representing in in your family. Well, over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about how family matters, and we're even going to dig in a little bit on all of those family matters. Next week, Pastor Jonathan will be talking about marriage. You don't want to miss that one. And then the following week, which happens to be Mother's Day, May the 8th, uh, we're privileged to have with us that day Dr. John Maxwell, and uh, he, he, along with Pastor Jonathan, will be talking about godly parenting, so you want to be here for that. Uh, the following week, uh, our team will be talking about family discipleship. We love God. We love others. How can we do that together? How can we serve together as a family? And then the following Sunday, the 22nd, we'll be talking about establishing healthy boundaries in our family, morality, cultural, technological influence, influences in our family and how, how that affects us and relationships in our family. And then we'll wrap things up on the 29th uh, talking about healing for our families. I know that in this room today, there's brokenness, there's heartaches, There are wounds that are represented here. There is hope for the broken family. And we'll wrap up this series uh, talking about healing for the family. But today we begin by talking about God's design for the family. Now, folks, that used to be a pretty cut and dry, simple, easy sermon. And in all honesty, it still is because truth is truth. But we all know that we live in a messed up world. We live in a society that is quite complicated. We live in a culture that seems to be attempting to redefine everything that God has ordained. This is especially seen in issues of family, marriage, gender. Our culture as a whole is not just becoming more accepting, of this new definition of family. It's aggressively pushing this redefinition as good, healthy, and enlightened. Our culture is increasingly trying to redefine family for whatever people want it to be. TV shows, even TV shows for our young children, commercials, other pop culture mediums depict families, in a way that is clearly contrary to God's original design for marriage and family. So what is God's design? Well, like I said, it's, it's pretty clear. If you'll look with me in Genesis chapter 2, this is a familiar passage. Uh, Pastor Jonathan, just a few weeks ago, when he was talking about the doctrine of man, he, we, 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 we read this verse together, talked about this. Then the Lord God said, "'It is not good that the man should be alone.'" And I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to the livestock, to the birds and the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. The animals just weren't cutting it, all right? So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs, and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Our Lord himself, in Matthew chapter 19, he was coming from the region of Galilee down to the region of Judea. And uh, the scripture tells us that he was healing all of the sick people, which just infuri- infuriated all of the, uh, the Pharisees and the skeptics. And so the Pharisees decided that they would try to trick him in his teaching. So they asked the question about Divorce and, and the way that Jesus responded to them was not only brilliant, it's just an exclamation point. It's a reminder of the truth we just read. Matthew 19, beginning verse 3, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. No longer two, but one flesh. One flesh. One man, one woman, united together as one. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, bound together in every way. The two shall become one in purpose. They're so close that they function like one person, balancing all of their strengths and their weaknesses. This was God's design so that they could fulfill God's calling in their life. It was an unbreakable lifelong union. That was God's plan. And by the way, it's still God's plan. But what happened? What happened? There's only four chapters in all of the Bible where there's an absence of sin. It's Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Revelation chapter 21, 22. Everything in between is life with sin in it. Genesis chapter 3, you know the story, Adam and Eve, eat of the forbidden tree there. And then sin entered into the world The one act of rebellion and its tragic consequences are the root of the problems that we have seen all throughout history. Scripture has many tragic stories about families. It shows the devastation of sin in our culture and sin in our families. Of course, Adam and Eve sin. And then they have two sons, and one of them kills the other. What about Abraham, God's chosen man? Well, he married two wives, which was against God's design. He eventually would kick one of those wives and and her son Out of the house. What about Jacob? Jacob married several wives, just like his grandfather. His twelve sons eventually sold their younger brother into slavery. David also had many wives. In fact, if you are reading along in our reading plan on the TRBC app, and you read this morning, we were in we were in 2 Samuel this morning. We even see we're even later in David's life, he's he's marrying people and having kids. And so David messing things up. His, daughter, uh, he, his son rapes his sister. His daughter's brother Absalom kills the son who raped her and the story goes on and on and on. Sin wreaks havoc upon our world and sin wreaks havoc, havoc on our family. The casualty is that, that there seems to be a void of great models of God's design. However, It thrills me to know that right here in this room are a multitude of stories of godly men and women who committed their lives together to do family, to do life God's way. In fact, if you're in the room and you've been married over 40 years, I'm not going to have you stand. You raised a bunch of kids. You're too tired for that, okay? But you've been married over 40 years. Raise your hand. Hallelujah. All over the room. But because of sin in the picture, sin in the lives, that story is not repeated as often as we would like. But I thank God for those of you who have persevered through the tough time and stuck to the commitment that you, are, that you have made. This past Thursday, I was over at Liberty School of Music. I was asked to adjudicate, that's a fancy word for for critique and judge, Uh, I was asked to adjudicate our artist development students and they came in and they did a three song set and I would make comments about that. The last guy who was doing, who was uh, giving his presentation, his name is Pierce, uh, Pierce is probably in the room somewhere uh, today. And I was so moved. All of them did such a great job. I was so moved by Pierce because the last two of the three songs that Pierce chose were songs that he had written to honor the legacy of his grandparents. It was, at, I was trying to write my notes and crying all over the page, you know, it was just a mess. But I was so touched and so moved that here this young college student recognize the lifelong commitment that his grandmother and grandfather made years and years ago. And I said, Pierce, can you, can you send me that lyric? And so I was looking over the lyric, and I want to read this one to you. I know this world is going to rock us off the boat. Any of you guys been there? Like the waves are choppy, the boat is rocking, and like, man, are we going to make it? I know this world is going to rock us off the boat, but I'll keep you from sinking Till we both grow old. How beautiful. And so thank you to those of you who model it well. May that be a challenge to the rest of us to do the same. So what is God's design for family? I like the way Paul in the book of Colossians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles or your, your app or whatever, you can, you can go there. Colossians chapter 3. Here Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us some do's and don'ts on how we can, we can do family God's way. And he begins this chapter by describing the life change that we experience when we make Christ Lord of our lives, when we confess our sins to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And the Holy Spirit in that moment comes within us to, to indwell us, to lead us, to convict us, to guide us. Paul says that there is a difference in that person. What we just witnessed in baptism this morning were, were those people saying, I am buried in Christ, I've been made alive because of his resurrection, and I commit today to, to lead a life as a Christ follower that is exemplary of this calling. Here's what he says in, verse, in verse, chapter 3, verse 1 If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. When a believer is saved, he's spiritually identified with Christ. And in Ephesians, Paul says he's seated in the heavenly places. However, this position should not just be a mental note for us or some theological point of view here it should represent a radical change in us when jesus becomes lord of our life we are different and paul here says uh, in verse 2 it should change the way that a person thinks and then if you followed the next 10 verses of so, or so, you would see where he says, man, it, it, it changes the way that you look. You're no longer clothing yourself with the garments of sin. And he lists several things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. He says, no, you're putting on new clothes of righteousness, compassion, humility, meekness, patience, kindness. But not, not only does it change the way a person thinks or looks, it should change the way you act. It'll change your decision making. It should change the way that you handle your relationships, including your family. The Christian must let the peace of Christ rule in his life. We must let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. We also must do everything in the name of the Lord, seeking his glory in all that we say and do. These are the priorities of the heavenly citizen. And now he gets down to verse 18, where I want us to camp out for just a few quick moments here. We're going to see the responsibilities of each of these family members. Beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh. With them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So, real quickly, I want us to unpack these roles. I'm not going to go deep because in the next five weeks, we're going to go really deep into each of those, but there are four roles that are represented here, and I want to touch on them real quickly. First of all, the wife's role. Paul begins here talking about the wife's responsibility to her husband. He says, Wives submit to your husbands as is fitting. In the Lord. Basically, Paul is saying, because of your position in Christ, you're a new creation. Because of your position in Christ, the wife is to submit to her husband, for this is fitting. This is appropriate. This is right. Now, we know that the word submission often carries a not so popular connotation in our society today. But we must understand this word translated submission does not mean inferior. Submit in this word here actually is a military word. The word simply means to arrange under rank or to come up under. Now, for those of you, perhaps you've been in the military, you understand the military, you will know the truth in this statement. A sergeant is not inferior to a captain based on their time in service they are equal however to have order in the military authority must be must exist in that relationship or there would be chaos In the same way, when God made the husband and the wife relationship, he made it with such order so that it would function properly. Submission does not imply that the wife is less than the husband. Scripture clearly tells us that that there's equality in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek or slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. There is equality in Christ. However, our equality... And unity in Christ does not remove the God-ordained roles. God's design for the family is for man to be the leader. Man is the head of the home, and wives are to submit to their husband. But know this, this submission must be in the context of love, We see this beautifully displayed even in the Trinity. God the Father does not dominate or force Christ to submit to him. Submission and authority happened in the context of God's love for his son. Therefore, the son submits to the will of the Father. In the same way, I as a husband am called to love my wife to encourage her, not to demand that she submit to her. I love her, care for her, encourage her in her growth in the Lord, serve her. My wife is to be a willful submission. I can't force that. So that's the wife. I'm not gonna dig deeper, Pastor, we'll go there. Husband's role, it's your turn. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In the ancient context, this was a pretty radical statement. It kind of pushed against the norms of society. For you see, in the Jewish and the Greek culture, the woman had little to no rights at all. She was basically property meant to serve the husband. So when Paul says, husbands, love your wives, don't be harsh to them, man, this was, this was quite radical in Ephesians chapter 5, he describes what the husband's love should look like when he says, husband, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And like I said, pastor's going to spend a little bit more time next week and when he's talking about marriage. We'll dig in a little bit more. But I do want to, to say this one thing. Men, love well, lead strong. Love well leads strong. Mark Batterson, in his book Play the Man, says this The white noise of cultural confusion has left men insecure and unsure of their manhood. So we settle for something far less than what God originally intended. I'll just say this one time gender was God's idea. He made them male and female. And there there is a difference between man, men be a man. I remember like it was yesterday, 2009, February of 2009. We did this for two or three years here at Thomas Road on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, we would have the ladies in the room for one hour and the ladies leading worship and a great lady speaker. And then we would bring the men in the room for the next hour. And have great worship and, and a great speaker. That, that particular year we had Steve Farrar. Many of you back in the day perhaps heard Steve deliver great messages that all the promise keepers, just a man's man and a great uh, warrior of the Lord, went home to be with the Lord unexpectedly this past year. But I remember I had my then 12-year-old son, Cameron, we were sitting right over there, he was tucked up under my arm, and Steve said... Guys, there are markers of manhood. Now, you're talking about being pretty plain and simple, cut and dry. This is what Steve said. Guys, look at me. Listen to me. These are the markers of manhood. Finish your education as fast as you can. Moms and dads are going, amen, right? Finish your education, move out, get a job, get married, have children. Now, my son, praise God, has checked off four of those. All I need are some grandbabies, and we are good which is a great segue to the next role, right? Uh, God said, be fruitful and multiply. So children, come along. Uh, how many of you know that children are a gift from the Lord? Amen. Now, some of you are going, yeah, uh, sometimes I wish I could exchange that gift. You know, like, could I have a gift receipt with this, with this baby? Right? We all have those moments. I encourage you to remember their best days, not their worst ones, right? Um, but... Uh, in a few weeks, a couple of weeks, uh, you'll hear Pastor and John Max will uh, un- unpack a little bit more of that. But anyway, verse 20, Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now this word children right here, what does it refer to? It doesn't necessarily refer to a particular age group, but it refers to a child still living in the home under parental guidance. If you're still living at home, still being provided for, this word is fitting for you. The reason Paul gives for children obeying the Lord is because it is fitting, it is appropriate, it is right. Because Christian children have a relationship with God, they should not be identified by disobedience to their parents. When Scripture talks about the pagan world that denies God, disobedience is in this list of stuff, man. Listen to this in Romans chapter 1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossipers, they're slanderers, they're haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Right there in those major lists of do's and disobedience, Paul says that children disobeying parents marks a world where people deny God. If a child does not obey his parents and recognize their authority, it's likely that they're going to struggle with authority the rest of their lives. The importance of obedience to parents is seen by it even being in the Ten Commandments, right? Honor, honor your father and your mother so that your days on this earth will be long, right? What are some consequences to that? <laughs> Uh, What what we read in Proverbs chapter 30 is is quite eye-opening. It says, The eye that mocks the father that scorns obedience to a mother will be pecked out by ravens of the valley will be eaten by the vultures. Tell your son or daughter that one day. Hey, if you don't stop this now, the ravens and the vultures are going to get you. Right? Woo! Thank God that we are not under the old covenant anymore, but the principle will last. When the child the parent relationship breaks down, it is detrimental to the rest of society. You see evidence of that in our world today, marked by a lack of authority, disobedience to parents, a lack of respect for teachers and employees, dishonoring employees. Children, obey your parents and everything, but this pleases the Lord, and we got to move on. I'm already out of time. Parents' role. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And still addressing the child-parent relationship, Paul speaks here to fathers and commands them to not provoke their children lest they become disheartened or lose heart, the uh, New American Standard says. The word provoke can also uh, be translated embitter. This is not, not simply referring to a child getting angry. Because we know that's going to happen, right? Are there any temper tantrums that you had to deal with that are just like permanently embedded in your mind? I'm just grateful that neighbor's place lets us in the place after what happened 15 years ago when one of my child just went crazy, right? That happens. That's not what Paul is talking about right here. To embitter has to do with a deep-rooted, settled anger that stays in With the children and affects their persons for the rest of their lives. It should be noted here that this word father could also be translated parents. It is possible for a parent to so embitter a child that they become heartless and discouraged. This happens in many ways. Number one, it can happen by not disciplining them. This is one of the quickest ways to develop bitter children. A spoiled child is a child that is thankless and bitter. Because they get their way all the time, they're really bitter when authority does not give them their way. Solomon said this, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. not going to get into a discussion about appropriate measures of discipline, but boy, that rod sounds mighty familiar to my honey, uh, Because I had plenty of it. Parents embitter them by never driving the foolishness, the sin out of their lives through good, appropriate discipline. Secondly, parents embitter their children by abuse or maybe improper discipline. When children are abused, either verbally or physically, it sows seeds of anger and hatred in their hearts. This anger is hard to get. Rid of, however, we see this not only as a result of, of abuse but also improper disciplines. When a parent does not wisely use his anger, it trains the child to unwisely use his anger as well. When you speak out of anger, speak curse words or or demeaning things to your, or maybe you just lose it, man. Uh, we can teach our, we can train our child to respond in anger the same way. You know, when it says, hey, go to your room, go to your room and I'll be up there in a minute, I think that's a good thing. Because it gives us a chance just to kind of chill, to think about the, uh, the violation here, to kind of let our anger subside. But sometimes we can embitter our children by inappropriate uh, discipline. Parents embitter their children by neglecting them. Many children grow up bitter because their parents just simply aren't around. Consequently, they lack love and affection and grow bitter because of that. Listen, man, we thank God for coaches. We just baptized a young two weeks in a row. We baptized an LU football player because of the godly influence of a coach that knows Jesus and loves Jesus. Can we thank God for that? Man, we need coaches. We need teachers. We need strong influence. But you need to be the chief influencer in the life of your children We saw an example of neglect in the story of Absalom and David. David neglected his children, created such anger in Absalom that he would eventually usurp uh, David's authority in the kingdom, tried to kill him. One of David's sons had previously raped Absalom's sister. David did nothing about it. Absalom kills the brother. David did nothing about it. Absalom ran away from the kingdom. David did nothing. When Absalom came back to the kingdom after murdering his brothers, David didn't even bother to go see him. This created anger in Absalom's heart, which he tried to satisfy by seeking to kill the absentee father. David didn't discipline. He didn't encourage him. He did nothing but neglect his son. Parents, do not embitter your children. Prioritize them over your work, your church, your entertainment, your social life. Only let God and your spouse take priority over them. Number four, quickly, parents embitter their children by never encouraging them and showing them affection. Men, don't ever get too big and tough that you can't cry with your kids, that you can't wrap your big arms around your son and daughter and tell them how much you love them. Martin Luther, the great German theologian, hymn writer, well-known for his role in the Protestant Reformation, had a father who wasn't so loving and so kinding, kind. And it so affect Martin Luther that he even had difficult saying the words, our father who art in heaven because there was such a, a negative uh, impact that his father had on him. And this is what Luther said, spare the rod and spoil the child, it is true, but beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he does well. Yeah, encouragement. Reward your children when they do well. Number five, parents embitter their children by showing favoritism to their siblings. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Great example in the Bible with uh, with Jacob and Joseph. You know, he showed favor upon uh, Joseph by getting, giving him the coat of many colors that mama made for uh coat of many colors there, right? This so embittered the siblings. They did what? They captured him, threw him in pits, sold him into slavery, and... Um, Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Instead of of developing bitterness in them, we must aim to instruct our children in the Lord. Model loving kindness and faithfulness and honesty. Help them form good habits, which, by the way, habits determine character. So help them with this. Shelter them from harmful, harmful things. Many kids are provided for, I mean really provided for, but may not be really that protected. Like their tummies are filled with the best foods possible, but their minds are filled with junk. Parents, let's guard our children from those things. Children are a gift from God. My baby turned 16 on Friday. All right, Many of you guys who've been around for a while remember that day at the old church when I announced to the church at age 42 that my wife and I were going to have a baby. Wasn't planning on that, but it was the best gift that God had for me. I told Dr. Falwell at that time, I said, Sir, uh, I've served at three churches now and I've had a baby at every one. I'm not going anywhere else. (laughs) Okay, But I was just reminded this week as we were celebrating my baby girl's 16th birthday of how Quickly, time goes, right? Some of you in the room today, I look around, there's some of you that are getting ready to get married, right? You're at, you're at the very beginning of this, and you're like, man, Pastor Scott, I want to get this right. Others of you, you have young children, and you're saying, man, I want to parent well. Others of you, you've raised your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Many of them are walking in the ways of the Lord, and then there's some, no matter how much you taught them the the word. You took them to Awana. You did all the right things. They wandered away from the Lord. That's out of your control, but it just creates grief in your heart. Man, children are a gift from the Lord. So in conclusion, God's designed for family. One man, one woman for life. Wives who submit to their husbands, husbands who love their wives as Christ loved the church, and children who obey their parents, parents who do not embitter their children. And I'm just going to add a sixth one. Family is for life. I was so blessed by the generations up here. Old to young leading us today, and I am so grateful for the generations. Look here, when you, when you finish parenting, it ain't over. It ain't over. Man, I love to see the, the ministry and the work and the love and the compassion that grandparents are pouring into grandchildren. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Family is for life. Folks, this is God's design. It was his design then. It's his design today. Family matters. Family matters. Now today, just to mention the word family might be salt in the womb for some, for some of you because it just, uh, it brings up feelings of perhaps disappointment and grief and sadness. Hey, I speak Jesus over you. Jesus over everything. The memories of the way things used to be. Man, it just got you. I speak Jesus over you for those who got it wrong hey you know the best time to plant a tree 25 years ago what's the second best time right now so if like man i made mistakes along the way but scott i just want to get it right commit today to do that whether you're a parent whether you're a husband or wife whether you're a child I'm just going to commit today to do it right. Let me tell you a starting point. You know, in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua says, Choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, I'm going to choose to serve the Lord. Some of you in the room today, you haven't taken that first step. You're still letting sin control your life. And Jesus is saying, hey, I died on the cross for those sins. And you need to confess those sins to the Lord today and make Him Lord of your life. He's standing there with arms wide open, ready to extend forgiveness for you. Then, as Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, or chapter 3, verse 1, you can experience that new life, that life change. Are you going to get it right every time? Absolutely not. But Jesus, through the power of His Holy Spirit that indwells you, will help you all along the way. Give your family to Jesus today. And for those that you've just lost all hope, keep praying those prayers for that wayward child. Keep praying those prayers for that spouse. Keep praying and believing. And as a church family, we're gonna commit to do the same thing. I want us to end, we're, we're way past time. Sorry about that, okay? But I want us to sing. can we just sing that song? Marcus, why don't you just come out here, buddy, and just lead that. Speak from the mountains to the streets. Speak the name of Jesus. You come. In Jesus in the streets. Jesus for the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family. there's power in his name. Now look, promise me something. We've got five more weeks in this series. Next week, marriage. The following week, parenting. We'll talk about healthy habits in our homes and how there's hope for the broken. Make a commitment now that you and your family are going to be here and be a part of all of that. God bless you. Uh, If you need to talk with one of our pastors, they're right down here. Have a blessed week. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.